Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Good Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for spending part of your day with me today. Looking forward to this conversation because we know in the next year, there are going to be some fairly important elections. Well, in Alberta, we've got the 2019 spring election, unless our premier decides to go outside the election window and call it earlier than that. We've got the federal election, October of 2019. Has it already been over three years that we've had Justin Trudeau. Uh, We know Ontario's got an election in June, this June. So there's some fairly important elections. And it's always interesting to see, obviously, the way the wind is blowing with the electorate. But that electorate has been changing. And uh, we've seen it over the last few big elections when we talk about uh, millennials. Just what kind of power does that voting block have? And especially if we're looking into 2019, that block is getting bigger because the age group from, I think it's 19 to late 30s, is getting bigger. Tim Harper is a freelance writer, contributor to the Toronto Star, joins us today. Hello, Tim. Hi, Angela. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm looking forward to getting into some details here because we know that Abacus recently released some data when it comes to what the voters are going to look like, what they're interested in. But one of the things that stood out was just how big that block of millennials is. Can you give us an idea, Tim? According to Abacus, it's going to be 9.5 million voters, and what we're going to see... You mentioned the three key elections, um, and you can throw Quebec in there as well. It's four key elections coming uh, down the uh, the pike. Uh, the millennial vote will be, for the first time, the, mo- the dominant voting block in, in all those elections, including your spring election um, next year in 2019, which will uh, is shaping up next to the federal election as perhaps the key election in the country. So um, what Abacus is uh, pointing out uh, in uh, a very good paper by uh, a millennial himself, David Coletto, is that if you can harness what he calls a youth quake, um, you can form a government if you can get them to vote mm. in a block, which is the, the million-dollar question there. So uh, Abacus was able to kind of do a little more digging, and I wanted you to share some of the findings here. But if we are, or as a party, is looking at this group of voters... How do I ensure that they support my party? What are some of their main priorities? What are their interests? Well, you know, I, for years, the uh, the parable in uh, in Canadian politics was there, there was nothing put on the table for uh, youth voters because they didn't vote. And, you know, the, the circle was complete because you would talk to younger voters and they say, well, I've checked out of this uh, uh, process because there's nothing there for me. So, I mean, it, it was a, a complete circle. Now, that circle is being broken because we do know um, from extensive data mining here by Abacus what is important to the um, to the millennial voter. And, and number one, first and foremost, is housing affordability, which shouldn't surprise anybody. It's a generation that's looking at, a, at a, an older generation that is sitting in homes uh, in the, the major cities, particularly Toronto and Vancouver in this country, uh, and I have just seen their um, their wealth grow manyfold while um, because of the the rising 
price of real estate, and you're looking at a, a millennial generation that can't uh, get into the housing market. Now, and when we're talking about housing affordability, the federal liberals have uh, indeed moved on um, uh, subsidized housing and, 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 and that type, but there hasn't been a real concerted move by any government uh, to deal with the afford, not the subsidized housing, but the affordability question for uh, millennials trying to get into the market for the first time. So that would be the first um, policy that I would uh, think any party trying to um, reach out to the millennials would would, would try to um, would try to hone uh, in a bid to bring them in under the tent. Have we seen that a little um, with uh, Kathleen Wynne, uh, BC, Ontario? They've come in with uh, laws trying to address uh, foreign ownership, or, you know, it seems like in Ontario, Kathleen Wynne is trying to appeal to younger voters that way. Kathleen Wynne actually is uh, the most aggressive uh, that I can see of any politician at this point, at any level, in trying to court millennials. Now, their political. Um, uh, strategy here is that without the millennial vote coming out in droves for the liberals uh, a long shot it's a long shot for kathleen Wynne to get reelected, and, and it remains a long shot if you look at any of the polling in advance of the june 7th um, election in this province but yes yeah, she's instituted rent controls um but she's also raised the minimum wage she's um, launched a pharmacare program for um, everyone under 25 free post-secondary tuitions in there. Uh, mm-hmm. um, there's free child care for preschoolers. Um, a lot of this looks like the uh, the classic Hail Mary of, of, of a politician, perhaps on her deathbed. But there's no question as to where she's tailored her policies, and it would be uh, to uh, to appeal to that voting block from age 19, the first-time voter, to uh, to the voters in, in their uh, mid to, uh, to late 30s. Uh, but the, the way that some of the housing policies have backfired, of course, is, is the, um, the tighter mortgage rules are actually making it tougher for first-time home buyers. So it's a double-edged sword. While, while Wynn, for example, did come in and, and, and institute rent controls, um, there, there hasn't been a policy put in Ontario that makes it actually easier for a first-time millennial to buy a home mm. uh, in the greater Toronto area or Hamilton or Ottawa or, or some of the other markets where housing has just become virtually unaffordable. And you even mentioned uh, the pharmacare for everyone under 25, because this group, unlike generations ahead of them, they had jobs where most of the jobs had benefits, most of the jobs had yeah. pensions. So we've got this this group of voters, the millennials, who are coming through their work experience saying, I, I don't have um, health care benefits like my parents' jobs guaranteed them. So is that the other thing that people like Kathleen Wynne and other political parties have to recognize that they have experienced a whole different workplace benefit scenario than their parents did? Uh, absolutely. And, and in fact, uh, according to the statistics, the one that really jumped out at me is only 29% of, um, of of those in that age group had access to any kind of employer-provided pension plan. Mm-hmm. Forget the defined benefit plan, which is uh, uh, anybody who's on one of those can count themselves lucky because that is uh, that harkens back to an era that I, I don't see that we're, we're ever going to see again. But there were some other startling numbers in there. That, <clears throat> excuse me, I should point out that this is a survey of two, it's a rolling survey of 2,000 Canadian millennials. Applicants found that only 55% of them had access to drug insurance. Just over half had access to dental insurance. 
and only 36% um, had uh, any an, an RSP of any value. Mm. Uh, this is a this is a generation that's living uh, rather precariously. You know, we know about precarious work, but precarious work brings with it very precarious benefits. So, things that I might have taken for granted 20 years ago, uh, this generation um, can take none of that for granted. So that's why you see some finally some movement on pharmacare and and, and dental care because um, again, this is something that would appeal to voters of that age and and would probably get them to the polls. Yeah, we talk about the gig economy. We know a lot of young people, yeah. a lot of my uh, listeners are saying, I kind of go from one job to another. It's not yeah. as if I have job security. Uh, Tim, I want to take a break here because you've given an example of all the things that Kathleen Wynne is throwing out there as a Hail Mary as she gets closer to her election in June. But it all comes with a cost. And that seems like one thing that isn't as important to millennials as maybe older generations. Tim Harper is my guest. He's a freelance writer, contributor to Toronto Star. You can read his column and get more on all the numbers from Abacus if you go to thestar.com. 403-974-8255. You know you can always call or text. We're back after this. Tim Harper is my guest this half hour, freelance writer, contributor to Toronto Star, and he is just giving us more details on, um, it's a rolling, did you call it a rolling survey, Tim, that Abacus has been doing with these 2,000 millennials? Yeah, he checks with them a couple times a year, so he continually goes back and and checks uh, views on not only political issues, but um, uh, consumer habits, um, brands that um, they can relate to, and so on. So, yeah, he's uh, continually uh, gauging uh, their views on a number of issues. All right, so it's a wealth of information. And what I was saying just before the break, as we look at what millennials are concerned about, top of the list, as you said, was housing affordability. But uh, with people like Kathleen Wynne, we see as she talks about increasing minimum wage, pharmacare, uh, dental programs, all these other things it comes at a cost did abacus look into the concern that any of this age group had with growing debt uh it did and not surprisingly uh i've written about this before so this didn't surprise me they they this this generation or the this cohort uh is not afraid of big interventionist government Mm -hmm. and they they don't um have a, a huge fear of um, government spending uh, compared to balanced budgets. I'll take you back to the 2015 campaign. You'll remember this well, that the balanced budget mantra that uh, Stephen Harper had been preaching, um, it it became sort of an accepted part of uh, Canadian political reality. You've got to prove you can balance the budget. Um, And and this has ebbed and flowed over the years, but in 2015, that seemed to be... the, the message and, and the New Democrats under Tom Mulcair fell into that trap and uh, rather unrealistically claimed they would balance the budget in the first year of the government and, and balance, uh, balance it for four years of an NDP government. Uh, they were trying to uh, show voters that they had the economic bona fides to actually run the federal treasury. Along came Justin Trudeau and, and, and instead decided that he, he would run a deficit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mocked at the time by Stephen Harper, and, and, and quite rightly, because there's, uh, from the last federal budget, there is no timeline to get back to a balanced budget. But it worked. Uh, it did uh, attract uh, millennial voters, uh, largely because uh, that voting court uh, understands what it is to run personal deficits, personal debt, 
Uh, and by and large, they're, they're okay with it to a point, as long as they can see some benefit, benefit for them at the, uh, at the end of the, uh, mm. the deficit rainbow, so to speak. And you mentioned Kathleen Wynne. She is spending or pledging billions of dollars on everything from health care, mental health care, some of the programs that uh, we discussed. Uh, the, her government will, did get back to balanced books, is uh, projecting a $6.9 billion deficit for the coming fiscal year if elected, and, uh, and deficits as far as the eye can see. So it's an open question as to whether um, this type of deficit spending might be a little too much for uh, even uh, millennials mm. in Ontario. It does rather smack of uh, the incumbent government throwing money at everything to see what will stick with voters. Uh, it, it, it doesn't take much to figure that if they ever got themselves reelected, they would have to start peeling back on some of these promises because the, the, the government finances in this province might be just a little too precarious. But... It is all part and parcel of the uh, very aggressive courting of this uh, millennial vote uh, by the Ontario Liberals in, 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 in the June election. So we'll see how it turns out. But it might, she might have gone a little overboard, mm. let's put it that way. But you know what? We want to keep an eye on that because we've got an NDP government that has the same projections. No idea. Well, they're saying 2023, 2024 for balanced. I mean, that is so far out. And even by then, the debt is going to be incredible. Oh, is it 93 billion, 96? So I think uh, Albertans will be watching what's happening in Ontario as well. And Although there's, a, if I just interrupt for a second, yeah. there's a difference though in the way those deficits uh, have Rachel Notley is not uh, running a deficit by choice. She's running a, a, a deficit because of plunging um, uh, commodity uh, prices and, and her, the little bit of a problem that uh, right. is, is seizing the country and trying to get um, uh, product to Tidewater. But Tim, our listeners will, Tim, Tim, our listeners will, right. Tim, our listeners are going to text me crazy saying you got to call Tim on that because it's not just because of oil. There's been other issues where our government just continues to increase spending and hasn't mm-hmm. reined back in spending. So um, yeah, I, I don't want to split hairs on that. But obviously, we're going to watch what happens in Ontario because we could have an NDP government look at uh, how do we court the millennials? What do we do? And as they court them, though, Tim, as you said at the beginning, ultimately, though, it's one thing that millennials might be attracted to your party. It's another thing for them to actually vote. And do we see truly that translate at the ballot box when it comes to millennials voting? It's a short short sample size. And this is still a risky um, uh, gambit by any government because there isn't a great history of reliability mm-hmm. in getting this cohort to the uh, to the polls. But um, Abacus did make some good points. I mentioned a few of them. Uh, they, well, I can go back to the 2008 U.S. election uh, that I covered when I was in Washington. They did come out to vote for Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that was one of the uh, the keys to victory for uh, for Obama. Um, they voted in, in the UK in waves for uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, the Labour leader, which left Theresa May without the majority she thought they'd have. And and more interestingly, in the 2016 U.S. election, you can look at the numbers. They they overwhelmingly supported Bernie Sanders uh, in the dom- uh, Democratic nomination uh, race against Hillary Clinton, and then abandoned. Clinton by staying home and, and greasing the skids for a Donald Trump uh, victory. So, you know, they, they can work both ways. They can come out and, and uh, help you win an election. But if you 
can't court them. They can also stay home and cause you a lot of grief. And even when you look at the millennial voting block, the way they get their information, the way they spread their views, I'm, I'm talking about social media. So mm-hmm. that's that's something that um, older voters aren't as in tune to and maybe older political workers aren't in tune to as well. So if you can harness that, you probably are going to see some nice results at the polls. Uh, something that obviously we're going to have to look at uh, in all the coming elections that you mentioned off the top is the the whole issue of fake news and and mm-hmm. um, electoral manipulation. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is uh, being raked over the coals as we speak at a joint session in the U.S. about uh, the way Facebook data has been used by Cambridge Analytica in the 2016 campaign. Um, the, the problem, I think, the policymakers uh, and uh, the uh, the oligarchs who run the major media. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, they are dealing with a, a third generation of data manipulation out there uh, that I don't think anybody's even caught up to yet. So the question on how um, news is delivered or, or how news is consumed by that, that voting cohort is also going to be very, very key. Um, they are likely a bit more vulnerable to that kind of manipulation if our policymakers cannot get ahead of mm. the curve. And right now, they're not showing any signs, Angela, that they are getting ahead of that curve. Tim, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate the conversation. So did I. Thank you very much for calling. You bet. Tim Harper, freelance writer, contributor to Toronto Star. His column is at thestar.com. But, you know, we, we have some big elections down the road, and it will be interesting to see how politicians get out the vote, not just millennials, you know, get out all the vote, because ultimately that's going to determine the party that we elect next spring. It's 327. Let's take a break here for news.